2: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
3: Excuse me, miss. Beg your pardon. Yes? Would you mind telling me who the pretty girl is over by the table talking to that group?
1: Oh, that's Helen. She's...
3: Not her. The one next to her.
1: That's Margaret. Margaret Martin. Margaret? Yes. Would you like me to introduce you?
3: No, thank you. She looks busy.
1: Oh, it's not a problem at all.
3: You're awfully kind, but it won't be necessary.
1: Do you work here at school?
3: No. Visiting an associate.
1: Oh, Which one? I'm happy to help you find their office.
3: No thanks. I'm all set. You've been more than helpful today.
2: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
4: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our second and final episode on
2: Margaret Martin. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate if you leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there because a new episode comes out every Tuesday.
4: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: And now, back to the murder of Margaret Martin. Margaret Martin was the last person you'd expect to get into trouble.
4: She was the eldest of four children. Her family described her as
2: a living saint. A devout Catholic who never missed a day of Holy Communion since she first received it at 10 years old.
4: She graduated from Wilkes-Barre Business College in 1938, hoping to soon find work as a secretary. Not long after, she received a call from a man who claimed to be starting a new insurance company. He told her he got her information from her college, and he wanted to hire her for a secretarial position.
2: Margaret Martin met the unknown man on December 17, 1938. She was never seen alive again.
4: Her body was found four days after she disappeared, about 20 miles away from her hometown of Kingston, Pennsylvania. The killer placed her body in a burlap bag and then hid the bag in a creek under a bridge in Keeler'sburg, where it was eventually spotted by a teenage hunter who was checking on his muskrat traps.
2: Police opened the burlap sack and found Margaret's mutilated body. Her knees were folded to her chin. She was stripped of all her clothing. There were bruises on her body and slashes from a knife across her abdomen and thighs.
4: The coroner listed the official cause of death as strangulation. He noted that the bruises on her body were probably due to the killer beating her with a
2: rock. He went on to characterize the condition of the body as having suffered the molestation of a degenerate.
4: Perhaps trying to imply that the killer had raped her.
2: The scarce clues at the crime scene led nowhere, so a manhunt ensued. Seventy-five state troopers called in to comb the Pennsylvania winter wilderness, going farm to farm over many months, hoping to find more evidence or Margaret's killer. Even a scrap of her missing clothing could reinvigorate the investigation.
4: Meanwhile, eyewitness accounts poured in from the people who saw Margaret's interaction with the killer, before she got into his car on her own volition.
2: A good indication of how this horrific crime rocked this area to the core.
4: And a description of the killer started to come together. Headlines in the area from December 23rd read, Mad Killers Description Spurs Police Hunt for Girl Slayer.
2: A provocative piece of prose. Many witnesses who had seen Margaret talking to a man at Kingston Corners reported that he was between 25 to 30 years old, on the heavier side, and wearing dark brown business clothes. He had sandy hair and was well-spoken to the point of being called suave.
4: The locals were quick to offer up several theories on the murderer's identity. A pastor, a local teenager, a businessman's son, one of her college lecturers.
2: It sounds like they were willing to pin the murder on any townsperson who was remotely suspicious or even just interacted with Margaret
4: at least based on the teenage boy and the local criminals we looked at last week.
2: But the police had to investigate all of these leads, so we'll look at them, too.
4: First, one of her professors at Wilkes-Bear Business College, where Margaret graduated from, just a few short weeks before her murder.
2: Margaret was right there for an entire year. More than enough time for a male teacher to develop inappropriate thoughts. Miss Martin, hold on a minute.
1: Yes, Professor?
2: Another
5: perfect score on your exam. Thank you. Oh, don't thank me. It was all you. Uh, say, um, I was going to the pictures tonight to see "Angels with Dirty Faces." Uh, have you seen it yet? No. It's uh, James Cagney, Pat O'Brien, and Humphrey Bogart. And uh, anyway, my my friend can no longer make it. But I was wondering if, uh, if you might like to go with me instead.
1: I'm very flattered, but I don't think that would be appropriate.
5: Well, my my apologies. I thought you would enjoy it.
1: Have a good day, sir.
5: Well, I'll, uh, I'll
2: see you next week.
4: Maybe one of Margaret's teachers wanted to abuse his position and take advantage of her.
2: Maybe Margaret rejected him, and maybe he didn't take so kindly to that rejection. Well, it's
4: not impossible, but the police looked into this man and cleared him. So let's look at the remaining suspects. What's going on with the businessman's son?
6: That'll be 325.
4: There you
1: go.
6: You know, I don't really work here. Is that so? I mean, I do, but only two shifts a week.
1: Oh, why so few shifts?
6: My father says I need it to build character, but it's kind of a waste. Because he's gonna make me executive vice president of his company when I graduate.
1: Congratulations.
6: Then I'll have a car and a secretary.
1: That's what I'm studying to
4: be. Yeah,
6: Maybe I can hire you. Would you like that?
4: Uh, I have to go.
6: Uh, Don't be a stranger.
4: And what's the suspicion here? He interacted with Margaret and had access to a car?
2: He left town shortly after the murder. Oh, he was trying to escape. Well, That's what the witnesses thought. However, the police cleared him too.
4: The next suspect to consider is the local assistant pastor. Thank you for helping me sit up today. You're welcome.
5: Attendance is growing. We're going to need more seats.
1: I think I saw a few more chairs in the basement.
5: You're a good girl, aren't you, Margaret? You never miss a week of church.
1: My faith is very important to me.
5: I see your relationship with the Lord is strong. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, Might I recommend Bible study to supplement your prayers? With a group? Well, uh, I like to conduct uh, one-on-one sessions. We could study this evening, uh, together.
1: I'm afraid I need to help my mother with the cooking.
5: Oh, I see. Uh, But what about your relationship with the Lord?
4: Surely that's more important.
1: I'll think about it.
4: Not much is known about this pastor, but suspiciously, he transferred to another church in a different town shortly after Margaret's murder.
2: Hmm. Skipping town just like the businessman's son.
4: Well, if we've learned anything here, if there's a murder in your hometown, don't move the next week, or the neighbors will get suspicious.
2: Neighbors? I'm a little suspicious.
4: (laughs) I just don't think there's enough to go on here, and neither did the police. They cleared him, too.
2: Okay, so that's six suspects, each lead thinner and thinner. The police had to be frustrated.
4: They were. Though there was one more development in the case with a local suspect. The teenager with a crush, who, we discussed last week, was reported to have said something, well, odd. You
6: have your eye on anyone these days? I'm not gonna say. Ah, uh, you always got a crush. Who is
3: it this year? Come on. You're not exactly reliable with secrets. What are you so afraid of? That you'll tell everyone and their mother. Ah, uh, just tell me. I promise.
6: I'll take your secret to my grave.
3: Fine, fine. It's Margaret Martin. <laughs>
6: Oh, you're serious. You watch, I'm going to ask her out. That's not gonna end well. She'll never go out with a
3: guy like you. Says you. Says anybody with eyes. I'm gonna make a date with that Martin girl or break my neck in the attempt.
2: That last line is a direct quote from the suspect.
4: He sounds aggressive desperate.
2: But was he desperate enough to kill Margaret if she turned him down?
4: Unfortunately, police checked out the team, but nothing came of it.
2: He was cleared of the crime and ruled out as a suspect. After the six suspicious locals were investigated and cleared, there were no more leads to speak of. The trail was now ice cold.
4: And with everything quiet, the community moved on to
2: their new normal. Living with the knowledge that an unsettling and horrific unsolved crime had started right in the center of town.
4: Walking around in fear, hoping against hope that it wouldn't happen again.
2: No closure for her family and friends. And
4: no justice for Margaret.
2: It was years before there was a new development in the mysterious case of Margaret Martin. A confession.
0: We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network.
4: Now, our story continues.
2: Four years after the murder in September of 1942, Orban Taylor, at the time a New York City resident, confessed to the murder of Margaret Martin. He claimed to have
4: visited Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania while he was in the U.S. Army.
2: This would have put him in the vicinity of Margaret and given him ample time to meet her.
4: The Scranton police took it seriously. They questioned Taylor for over 10 hours.
5: He knows a lot. Yeah. I'm inclined to believe him. Uh, I'm not convinced yet. You're being thorough. No one could disagree with that.
6: I'm not watching the clock. Uh, Let's hope he is. Uh, Time's gonna trip him up. If he's not telling the truth. I'm ready to go back in. Gotta keep the pressure.
5: You sure? Take a break. He's not going anywhere.
6: No. It needs to be relentless. There's something
5: off about him. (laughs) Show me a killer who isn't. Uh, It's not that. Something else. Look, don't let him get in your head.
6: He's not special. I'm not gonna wrap this case up in a neat little bow for everyone, just because it'll make someone feel better to see it wiped off the investigation board. If it turns out he didn't do it, then we live with that.
5: That's not what I'm saying, but right now his confession is holding. He seems to know that girl, and the details.
6: Don't pull me out of that room again. It's gonna take however long it needs to take.
2: Taylor must have known a lot of details about the case to last that long. Or
4: maybe the police were really just desperate for a culprit.
5: We spent a lot of time together today. We sure have. Hours upon hours. This might be my most serious relationship to date.
6: You got a good sense of humor. (laughs) Thank you. All this time, and I haven't asked you,
5: why? Why her? Why Margaret?
6: No. Wanna guess again?
5: Why don't you go ahead and tell me? Why
6: confess?
5: I've done a lot of bad things. Needed to clear the deck.
6: You woke up yesterday feeling guilty and thought you'd stroll over to the nearest precinct?
5: Yeah, something like that.
6: Remind me to thank your conscience.
5: So you finally believe me?
6: No, you didn't do it.
5: Yes, I did.
6: No. I don't doubt that you've done bad things, but murdering Margaret Martin wasn't one of them. How do you know? Her clothes. That's where you messed up. You ready to walk back that confession now?
2: In the end, Orban Taylor was ultimately unable to reveal how he had disposed of Margaret's clothing.
4: Which were never recovered.
2: This disparity caused the young man to retract his confession. So
4: in 1942, Margaret's killer was still not in custody, and the mystery of her death remained unsolved.
2: But the detour of Orban Taylor's confession is not without a win for justice, even if it wasn't for Miss Martin. What happened? During his confession, Taylor stated that he was dishonorably discharged from the military.
4: This caused the FBI and the state motor police to loop in military authorities in Fort Jay,
2: New York. Working together... They uncovered Orban Taylor's true crimes. Well, what was he actually guilty of? Several robberies and a stabbing in New York. Yikes. As well as defrauding numerous hotels in Philadelphia, Newark and Elizabeth, New Jersey, according to the Harrisburg Sunday Courier.
4: A nefarious individual indeed, but unfortunately not guilty of the crime we're looking at.
2: Which meant the identity of Margaret Martin's true killer was still a mystery. Back to the question at hand, who killed Margaret Martin?
4: Investigators initially believed that the killer had to be familiar with the rugged, isolated countryside terrain of Wyoming County, Pennsylvania, which would mean that the killer was a local resident.
2: However, later theories suggest that the murderer was, in fact, an out-of-town serial killer, but the police didn't have the means to track such a killer in the late 1930s. But what
4: evidence points to a serial killer?
2: the tragic fate of Rachel Taylor.
4: A relative of Orban Taylor?
2: Uh, No, that's just a coincidence. Rachel Taylor was a 17-year-old home economics major, just starting out at the State College campus of Penn State University. She was a shy New Jersey girl. A little after 1 a.m. on March 28, 1940, Rachel took the half-mile walk from the bus to her dorm room alone, or so she thought.
6: Are you following me?
2: Oh,
3: no. I didn't mean to scare you. You didn't... You sure about that? You look like you're shivering.
1: I'm fine. Please don't touch me.
3: Of course. I'm sorry. Can I walk you home?
1: No. I'll be fine, thank you.
3: You shouldn't be out alone at night.
1: I'll be alright. Please, stop following me.
3: I just want to make sure you get home safe.
4: I don't need your help.
3: But who's going to protect you?
4: Leave me alone. Who's going to make sure you're safe?
2: Get off of me!
4: On March 29th, 1940, Rachel Taylor's body was discovered near the campus by a school janitor. Her head was bashed in and her body was mutilated.
2: How far was this from where Margaret's body was found?
4: 130 miles west. But the police were immediately reminded of how Margaret's body had been tortured in a similar manner specifically the bruising and the lacerations.
2: And it had only been two years since Margaret's death. Exactly. Okay, but besides the mutilation and the similarities in age between the victims, there wasn't much to link the murders of Margaret and Rachel, right?
4: Based on the crime scene, detectives were certain that the killer had lured Rachel into a car before killing her. And the campus killer wasn't done yet.
2: What did he do next?
4: A year later, he struck the Penn State campus again. But this time, the victim survived.
2: Oh, that's a relief.
4: A month later, another assault. Another survivor.
2: But if this is all at Penn State, I'm not buying that he'd go through all the trouble to lure and kill Margaret in Kingston, 130 miles away.
4: Well, two years is plenty of time for a serial killer to move and to refine his methods. Many serial killers' first attack doesn't resemble their later kills. Fair enough. And after four attacks at Penn State... The killer started to move east.
2: Back towards the Wilkes-Barre area?
4: Yes, he didn't quite make it all the way, but the dots of the attack on our imaginary Pennsylvania map got pretty close. Three more women who were outside alone and around Margaret's age were assaulted near Lock Haven, Pennsylvania in the summer of 1941.
2: What happened to him? Surely with surviving victims he was caught? No one knows. All of a sudden, the attacks stopped. Cold turkey? Just like that?
4: Yes, police surmised that he either moved away, or was drafted into World War II. Or maybe karma caught up with him. Wouldn't that be nice for a change?
2: On the flip side of the serial killer theory, there's plenty to suggest that the killer lived near Margaret. For example, the killer knew enough about Margaret to figure out where she went to college and look up her phone number. True.
4: Another clue indicating that the killer lived near Margaret was the location where he disposed of the body.
2: And we know that the topography of the wilderness in that part of Pennsylvania is difficult to navigate, and those woods are largely uninhabited. There's a good chance the killer spent plenty of time in those woods, and that's how he was able to hide the body in such an out of the way location.
4: Great point. But that doesn't mean that a serial killer visiting the area couldn't have called Wilkes-Bear College, gotten the names and contact info of recent graduates, and then skulked around the woods and found
2: that bridge over the creek. That's very true. But what about the intimate way he killed her, strangulation, and manual at that with his bare hands? The bruises around her neck were from his fingers.
4: There's a reason why strangulation is a common form of intimate partner violence. It's so personal, face to face. However, plenty of serial killers strangle victims that they have no connection to. Ted Bundy, the Hillside Stranglers, and if you believe his confessions, the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo.
2: So did the killer strangle Margaret because he knew her? Or was this a serial killer who found sexual satisfaction in murdering his victims in an intimate way? Well,
4: don't forget that the coroner described the killer as a degenerate who molested Margaret. Whether the killer raped Margaret before killing her or sexually abused her corpse, it's clear the murderer was playing out some twisted sexual fantasy by murdering her.
2: And don't forget that the killer potentially held Margaret hostage for several days before murdering her. It seems unlikely that someone murdering her in the heat of passion would hold Margaret hostage before killing her. This was someone with a plan.
4: It makes more sense that this was an organized serial killer, someone well-practiced at keeping women prisoner.
1: Please, let me go. Or at least untie me.
3: If you behave yourself, then you'll be free of me in a couple of days.
1: I promise. You're lying.
3: What do you mean?
1: I saw them in the car. Ribbons, woman's clothes... You've done this before, haven't you? Perhaps. Those other girls. What happened to them?
3: You better stop asking questions if you don't want to get
1: hurt again. What happened to them?
4: (laughs) The same thing that's gonna happen to you. So, we have a consensus?
2: Yes. Margaret was most likely kidnapped, held hostage, and murdered by an organized serial killer from out of town.
4: Someone who spent time stalking his victim, scouting out the area, making sure that all of his preparations were in place before he struck.
2: His target? Young, educated women, college students, or recent graduates.
4: The killer passed through town.
2: Wreaked havoc.
4: Left a family destroyed.
2: And a community in fear.
4: Our story will continue in a moment after the break.
6: And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
2: And now back to the story Leo C. Mundy was a consummate surgeon and physician a Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania resident who served in the U.S. Army during World War I. He was also a Democrat who served in the Pennsylvania State Senate for five years.
4: He was moved by Margaret Martin's tragic death and wanted to make sure her legacy would have a positive impact.
2: That her death wouldn't be in vain.
4: On December 28, 1938, towards the beginning of his life as a public servant, a mere week after Margaret's body was
2: found. And four days after her funeral,
4: State Senate Monday announced that he would introduce a new bill. It would make sex crimes capital offenses and provided the compulsorily registrations of persons convicted of such crimes or having such tendencies.
2: Under the proposed legislation, he said, physicians uncovering such tendencies in a patient would have to report it to a bureau of compulsorily registration, which would be conducted by the police. Welfare and social workers would also be required to report such persons.
4: We've already acknowledged that one of the reasons the killer might have gotten away was due to a lack of communication between jurisdictions. This bill proposed to open that line of communication.
2: Anyone deemed suspicious by a physician or social worker registered under the bill would be required to report periodically for examination.
4: And those who displayed, quote, unusually strong premonitory symptoms of sex
2: criminality would be placed in mental
4: institutions.
2: Strong premonitory symptoms of sex criminality? What does that look like?
4: Broadly, disrespect for and aggression towards women, specifically, incidents of stalking, voyeurism, and harassment,
2: to start. It's refreshing to see that such immediate legal action was taken to prevent future crimes like this.
4: The extent of its impact is unclear,
2: but it raised awareness for sure. If it took some sick individuals off the streets and saved a few lives, well then that's a win. And at least one glimmer of hope to come out of Margaret Martin's tragic death.
4: It can't be stated enough that this type of crime in this particular area during this time period was significant and I'm glad to hear that there was an equally appropriate response from the government. In the absence of closure in Margaret Martin's case, it's good to know that the next person targeting young women would have a harder time than the unidentified killer we've been investigating.
2: Maybe it took a dual mind like Leo C. Mundy to get something like this done. With his unique combined skill set of medical and political expertise, he was able to recognize that violent and sexual crimes towards women could in fact stem from a condition.
4: And to continue to open that dialogue between the medical community and law enforcement. This closes that gap and strengthens the net that the authorities cast to catch the perpetrator.
2: Of course, it's still tragic that State Senator Mundy, or any other legislator, didn't come up with a bill like this before Margaret's death.
4: Margaret Martin's case is one of the few major unsolved murders in Pennsylvania. And sadly, the case will likely remain cold. In
2: 1999, the district attorney at the time stated that, even with modern criminal investigation methods and forensic techniques, it is unlikely that the identity of Martin's killer will ever be discovered.
4: He went on to say,
6: It would take good fortune and a lot of luck to solve a case as old as that. It's likely the killer's been dead for years.
4: With the presumption being that the killer is now long deceased, it's most likely that Margaret Martin's death will never get the closure it deserves, and the killer's identity will remain a mystery. Who was he? Did he know her?
2: Where was he from?
4: How many total murders did he commit?
2: Was he ever caught for a crime other than this one? We will never know. The giant question mark at the end of this case is going to be a very difficult one to erase.
4: The beginning of this case is something I'll never forget. Imagine responding to an employment opportunity and then that's it?
2: Feels like it should be off limits.
4: I don't even want to think about how many capable women didn't attend their next job interview and therefore didn't get the position that they deserved and earned as Margaret's story traveled from town to town.
2: What happened to her couldn't be more relevant today. Whether it's dating, networking, ride sharing, or selling an old couch, our access and ability to meet a stranger in less than a minute's time from the click of a button increases exponentially as each year goes by.
4: You are absolutely right. We're more likely than ever to hop into a stranger's car or respond to a random LinkedIn request.
2: Doesn't matter age, gender, or geography, people need to be careful.
4: Margaret Martin's story will go down in history as the main ingredient to any good nightmare. Young college graduate Margaret Martin wanted to join the workforce, just as society expected.
2: And the most tragic outcome happened in return. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. Or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast, and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, I know, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. If we live
4: till next time.
2: Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Adam Gaines and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Jerry Courtney Osteen, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, and Daniel Velasquez.